Welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, my guest is Carlos Marestas, who is the founder and chief story smith of Key Ideas. And we're going to find out all about what that means. But today's theme is about how stand-up comedy is like storytelling and why it's essential for nonprofits. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited too. So Carlos and I first connected because unbeknownst to some folks in my audience, I have been dabbling in stand-up comedy because I've just decided that I have way too much self-esteem. And it has been both a really exciting and incredibly frustrating experience, very humbling experience, I will say. And Carlos, I know you started off as a stand-up comedian in your career. So before we delve into the work that you're doing now, can you tell us a little bit about being a stand-up comedian? Yes. So I feel like stand-up comedy is just cheaper than therapy. Um, And so at the time I couldn't afford therapy, which I I probably should have been in. So it was nice to actually go on stage, talk about my problems, and just for a second be able to connect to an audience that had maybe some shared experience. And I say that it's every once in a while, I'd at least get a bar tab. So that was helpful too. And sometimes I would get paid and, you know, so it was fun. But yeah, I actually started stand-up kind of in the middle of my career. So I started the company before I was doing stand-up. But I certainly learned a ton just about how to tell a story. Think about comedians and your favorite comedians. They're just brilliant at being able to simplify very complex issues. When you can take issues that are very complex and present them in a way that connect with an audience, you have a very finite amount of time when you're on stage as to get an emotional response out of an audience. And I feel like it's just really good practice for any communicator to be able to do that. Absolutely. And for me, I do a lot of fundraising training and I just think, listen, if you can stand and bomb in front of a group of people, you can go into a major gift ask, no problem. You're bulletproof after that. Definitely. Yeah, totally. I feel like many people fear more than death and it can be pretty lonely up there. And I'm sure it's the same way when you're going in front of a new funder or just really any audience and just trying to pitch them the work that you're doing and why it's valuable. You really never know what kind of response you're going to get. Right. And so I feel like just being able to be yourself and understand that no matter what happens, the more you do it, the better you'll get and you'll learn things. And I think that the one thing about stand up is that you have to recognize that your audience isn't always going to be the same. Mm-hmm. And so the things that you talk about, although you have your material, but you should come prepared every time and recognize where you are, recognize that. You want to be true to yourself and true to your message. That shouldn't change. But how you present it and what material you happen to go through, you can really prepare that and know that if you do that preparation, you're going to have a better time. You'll be more successful. And I feel like that really is true for any time we have an opportunity to communicate. Yeah. It's so funny because I think about the fact that when we go into pitches or we talk to foundation officers, we're so earnest and we're so serious, but it goes a long way towards building trust, building relationship, building rapport, right? Like, why are we so afraid to crack a joke or or two? It really does. And which is really comforting for the person that grew up being the class clown and getting in trouble a lot. It's nice to know that I can use some of that to, to really differentiate myself 
and just not take every situation so seriously. The work that you do is serious work. It's important work. And I think there's a balance between honoring that and then just being a human being (laughs) that recognizes there's a place for levity and uh, a time and place. I don't know why this comes to mind, but when my grandmother passed away, I was asked to sort of speak on behalf of the family. Actually, both grandmothers, both of my grandmothers had passed away. I was asked to speak and I told a story and I included stories that were funny. And I feel like even in the hardest moments, if you can bring levity to that situation, it's just going to help people absorb it in a better way. And I feel like that's true for any pitch that we have to give. Just be real and don't be afraid to speak your truth when it's appropriate being funny. Okay, can I confess something to you and all the people who are going to listen to this podcast? My grandmother passed away in March and I spoke at her funeral and it was so hard not to try to make it a stand-up routine. (laughs) You're like, I have an audience. There's an audience. All my cousins are here. Let me just deliver a tight five. (laughs) That's such an illness, right? (laughs) I mean, doesn't everyone want to hear my tight five? How much time do I have? All right, you better not give me the blue light. Yeah, don't give me that light. Don't give me that light. (laughs) (laughs) I'm related to you. I will find you. All right. I'm not paying you for this. (laughs) Maybe you do it. What did did you ask for? What's my Well, I will say I delivered a very nice eulogy, but it was lighthearted because look, my grandmother, she lived a nice long life and I think it was there to be celebrated. She has 18 grandchildren and we are all there together. And it's like, I don't know, whatever. We don't need to talk about my my grandmother's eulogy and my time five. It's not about me. It's about you. I brought it up. I brought it up first. But it's a good example, though, because I do think you have, anytime you have an opportunity to speak, um, there are certain aspects of, of storytelling. If you think of any great story, any book, or any great presenter, your favorite TED Talk, there's generally a good balance of levity and just truth that's being spoken balance with even really hard, serious things that you talk about. And when you can do that in a five minute, 10 minute, 20 minute time frame, you're taking your audience on a journey. And that's really what it's about. People remember stories. They don't remember statistics. And I think that's what's great about having an opportunity to just rethink the way that you present. And you don't have to be the most naturally funny person, but you can look for opportunities just to be lighthearted and and sometimes that's what breaks the ice and that might mean the difference between you getting that a gift or not. Okay, so we're going to get into the details of the story, but let's set a little bit more context because I feel like we didn't really get into this enough. So what is it that Key Ideas does as a company, which you are the founder of? So since 2002, I've had Key Ideas and basically we are a creative agency that specializes in sharing stories about what organizations do, specifically organizations that are having some kind of positive social impact. So at the core of what we're doing is we're helping organizations simplify their message and use their authentic story to connect with an audience. We as a company really believe that storytelling moves people. And so we're working to try to help educate and inspire action through authentic storytelling. And that primarily happens through video, but it might happen through graphic design. And we primarily work with nonprofits. I've had the company in February of 2021, it'll be 19 years. And for many of those years, 
I was a nonprofit, not on purpose. I just didn't make any money. And so I know kind of what it's like, but I feel like we've really hit what we're supposed to be doing. And I've built a team that are really the best at what they do. And so I'm happy to say, and I say this with cautious optimism, is that 2020 has been such a difficult year, but it's been so far our best year to date financially. And I feel very blessed that that is the case. And I know that when you have an organization for as long as I've had it, it's a roller coaster and you have to weather the storms and we've weathered plenty of storms. But at the core of what we do, it's really to help organizations connect with their audience through sharing a good story. Okay, so the other thing that is important to know about you is that you were also an author and you wrote a book called Mommy Lied to God. Okay, it's a punchline to a joke. You're going to have to tell the joke and then you're going to tell us what this book is about. So what's the joke? Okay, Raya, we've already covered dead grandmothers. So I feel like we've somehow broken the ice here. We're family. Just do the joke. So here, I'll tell you, I actually generally when I do podcasts, I don't do the joke because... The story is in the book and it's in probably my favorite chapter in the book, but we want to give your audience a little something extra and because they're paid for it, right? That's uh, right. They're like the best looking audience in the world. So yeah, yeah. yeah. For this, right? We didn't discuss my rate. We'll talk about it later. Anyway, so really one of the core of what I do, and I talk about this in the book, is I got a piece of advice from a comedian friend of mine. And it was, when you're writing stand-up, you really need to write about yourself because it won't sound like what everybody else is saying. It won't use cliches that, that people are used to hearing. And when you present it, you're going to present it with a different level of energy because it comes from a place of truth. And this came after I wrote a bunch of material. One night I stayed up really late and I gave him the material and he looked at it and he's like, this is awful. And so that was the piece of advice that he gave me. And so what I started to write about were things that were really true to me and my experience. And so what was true to my experience is I was going through a divorce, a really painful divorce. And so I was thinking, well, how the hell am I going to write about this really hard thing and make it funny. But I thought about it and I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. And so kind of went a little bit like this. Um, I recently went through a divorce. I wanted to work things out, but her boyfriend wasn't willing to compromise. I'm like, come on, let me see her on Wednesdays and every other weekend. Let me get a month during the summer trying to negotiate. Everybody tries to give you advice when you're going through a divorce, especially my dad. He's like, son, let me talk to you about your marriage. I'm like, dad, I'm not talking to you. You've been divorced like three times. Seriously, why would I talk to you? And the hardest thing I would say about going through a divorce is being a single dad. Because any single dad will tell you that if your kid doesn't get what they want, automatically they start crying for their mom. So one day my son was crying for his mom and I was like, okay, I'm just going to talk to him. I said, son, I know you miss your mommy, but mommy doesn't live here anymore. He's like, why daddy? I was like, well, mommy and daddy stood up in front of a room full of all our friends and family. And mommy vowed before God to be with daddy till death do us part. But see, daddy's still alive, honey. And that's right. Mommy lied to God. (laughs) So I quickly became known as the bitter divorced comic. And that became my shtick. Hopefully what differentiates you as a communicator is a little sexier than that. But what I will say is a couple things. I didn't actually ever tell my son, mommy lied to God. He is about to be 18. His name's Elijah. He's going to be 18 in January. And he only heard the joke this year and only because the book was coming out. 
And so he's older, I could give him some context. I never actually told him that. But the thing about that material is that I hadn't been doing stand-up very long, but it instantly differentiated me from other comics that were out there talking about whatever they were talking about. And those who were in the audience who had gone through a divorce were the ones that were laughing loudest, right? Or had parents that were divorced. And that's the thing is that storytelling should be authentic. And you need to think about when you have an opportunity to communicate, if you allow yourself to be vulnerable, you never know how that's going to impact somebody who's hearing what you have to say. Uh, And maybe they needed to hear it exactly at that moment. And that's what I've learned through doing this work is that when you're in a position of communicating your story, it may be hard to talk about. It certainly was hard for me to talk about. But what I learned is that there are many, many people who were going to connect with my story and needed to hear that there's light at the end of the tunnel. So I always knew if I wrote a book about storytelling, it would be called Mommy Lied to God. And that's why it's personal, but I feel like with a little bit of context, I could also communicate how it was important for an audience to kind of grow from that story or take whatever they could from that story. So I want to unpack a couple of things you said that I think are really important, which is that storytelling has to be personal. It has to be authentic and it has to be something that differentiates yourself. And I feel like when I see nonprofit marketing materials or I talk to nonprofit leaders, there's a reluctance to some of them to get really personal. But the thing is, the work is personal, particularly if you're a founder. Like there is a reason why you chose to dedicate your life to a particular cause. And so I guess I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about how you would encourage people who either are reluctant to share their story or somehow think that, oh, there's nothing interesting about my story. So the first step in becoming a great storyteller is to acknowledge that you have. And that is the thing that we have to keep in mind, because I do think for some people, you can't get them to shut up about their story, right? So for some people, it's just like too much. For others, I actually write about this in the first chapter about the book is what are some of the barriers that people have and why they struggle with sharing their own story. And sometimes it's because they feel like their story is not worthy. Sometimes it's because they have a hard story. I've interviewed over a thousand people and people who have experienced some of the hardest things that life could throw at you. People who have survived civil wars in Liberia, Africa, people who have lost children, people who have been abused in the worst ways. And the one thing that all of them have in common is that when you get far enough removed from that experience, you really do have an opportunity to use the hardest thing that you've experienced in life for good. And think of any testimonial that you've heard a nonprofit organization do when they sit down and connect with somebody who they've had an impact on. It's those folks have struggled and they're putting themselves in a position of power and position of actually doing something good. And there's something just really beautiful about that to me. And it's why I've chosen to dedicate my career to this work, because we all have it. We all have things that are hard that we go through. But let's put that aside for a second. Not everybody has an incredibly hard story that they feel like is going to connect with their organization. But we all have aspects of our story that have led us to do the work. And we have to acknowledge that our stories start even before we're born, who our parents were, 
what their struggles were, who our grandparents were. Were you a military brat? Were your parents divorced? Were they entrepreneurs? Were they pastors? All of those aspects of your story begin before you're even born. And when you can really step aside from it for a second and start to put the pieces of the puzzle together, you start to really break down what it is that drives you. And when you're open enough to share it, not just with funders, but even with our team, it has an opportunity to inspire them and know something about you that they didn't know. And I feel like that's what great leaders do. They use their personal stories to move and move their audiences, whether it's an internal audience or an external audience. So let me ask you this, because I think it's an interesting tension here, which is I 100% agree with you about the power of storytelling. And I also think that in the nonprofit sector, we've seen some examples of what we'll call poverty porn of exploiting people's stories for to manipulate the audience to feel a certain way. So how do you distinguish between an authentic story that moves and inspires versus a story that essentially creates a manipulation? That's a great question. And it comes up a lot in the work that we do. And what I would say is you never want to ask somebody to share their story that is just kind of still in the middle of what's happening, right? I think you need to be careful to not overly encourage somebody who's not ready to share their story. And I think that's one thing because when they're not far enough removed from the experience and they're not in a better place, it's harder to sort of speak on the aspects of the story that are hard. And so I would say that's one. The second is... I think that when you have a balanced team and a team that you can build that really may look like the folks that you serve, that you can keep each other in check as it relates to, are we being exploitive here? Or how can we do this in a way that really puts this person in a position of power? And I do think that the folks that you serve have the opportunity to be that because if they're sharing their story and they're doing it in a way that's going to encourage others to support folks that may be in the situation that they were in, then they are in a different place. They are in a position of power. And But I do think it's important to just keep each other in check and make sure you really evaluate what your intentions are and do it in a way that's honoring and uplifting. One other thing I'll say, and I do think this is just an important question because we've worked for several community foundations and we've seen examples of community foundations really do this wrong where you see the funders and the board members and the people that are representing the organization and all of them are the same color. And then you see the people they serve and they're a very different color. Doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with those people and the reason that, that their intentions aren't the best intentions. But I think that when you see that, it's an unspoken thing that's happening where you start to feel like, ah, there's something missing here. So I think that the hard part comes before the storytelling, which is build a balanced team and a balance of folks involved in the work that can speak on behalf of the organization. And I think that some of that really will, will work itself out through just having a diverse team. But I would say like really make sure that when you're putting something together that you are being really strategic about who you put in, in the video, who you put in the ad, and make sure that they're going to speak from a unique perspective, right? And then it's not just like, well, if I use this funder, I have to use this funder because they're going to get mad. Or if I use this board member, some of that happens and that can create an issue too. And it doesn't always make for the most authentic storytelling. 
So I want to get into the nuts and bolts of storytelling, because I think there are some people who are naturally gifted storytellers. I would say most people are not. And I think we've all been at that, you know, cocktail party work cornered by someone who just talks on and on and on. It's like, what is the point of this story? So can you give us some ideas about how we can construct a compelling story that isn't going to bore the hell out of our audience? Yeah. So first of all, it's helpful to work with somebody that has an outside perspective, because I think that one of the reasons that we struggle with storytelling is because we have the thing called the curse of knowledge. And when you're a nonprofit executive director or development director, the chances are nobody knows the work that you do better than you do. Your funders likely won't. You're doing it day in and day out. And so you often feel like you have to communicate every aspect of the work, every issue and every solution you've come up with to address that issue. And really what you need to do is think of your storytelling more like creating a trailer for your organization. The trailer gets you excited to go see the film. It doesn't give away the plot. It's not too long. It doesn't tell you who died, right? And so I think about my son, one of my youngest son, because he's just got like spoiler Tourette's when it comes to watching movies. If he's seen a movie, he's like, oh, this part's so awesome. Or man, this, oh, you just wait. And I'm like, dude, shut up, man. Like, just let me watch the movie. And my wife and I are always getting frustrated with it. So chances are you're a better leader than we are parents. But I would say just keep that in check because if you're sharing too many aspects of what it is that you do, you're going to lose your audience. And the point is to get them excited to go to your website or ask you the questions that are important to them. It's not to give it all away. And so I think that helps when it comes to just really simplifying a message and making sure that you actually allow others to communicate what's important to them. And I think that can be a missed opportunity too. You go to a funder, you're the one doing all the talking and you somehow missed what's important to that funder. And so I would challenge every leader to seek first to understand before being understood. Understand what the partner cares about and then try to align the storytelling to those specific things. And it's just, I think, it makes for a more successful conversation. Carlos, you are speaking my language. The one thing that I coach all of my clients about is when you're fundraising, the chances are you're probably talking too much. And I talk about how I hate the term pitch because pitch actually is not a conversation. Pitch is a one-way monologue. And frankly, nobody wants to hear a monologue. Right. And I don't know where it comes from, maybe because we're inundated in the sort of this shark tank mentality or this reality TV mentality where you have like five minutes to give your pitch or less. I think what's important to, to acknowledge is that these are partners in the work that you do, and it's not an unequal partnership. There's something that they care about they're getting something out of this gift. It's giving them either a status in the city that they want to have or a good feeling or whatever it is. And they're going to you as an expert in how to address some of the biggest challenges that our communities face. And so I think there's this dynamic shift and I can completely understand it. When you need the money to do the work, it's putting you in a different kind of position, right? But in reality, you, there's power in what you do. And you don't have to be everything to everyone. You just have to acknowledge, look, there's going to be a percentage of, of funders out there or the community that are never going to care about the problem I'm trying to solve or address. And that's okay. They're not your audience. 
The key is to really look for those that are naturally connected to that work and then to never stop sharing your story over the year. And that not every time you communicate with them has to be an ask. If you communicate seven times, five of those times should just either be a celebration of a win that you have or a thank you, but not seven times you're communicating should be an ask. It really needs to be, look, if you're doing important work, you're not going to have any shortage of stories to tell. And Mm so know that it's important to really be strategic and look for those opportunities that come up naturally throughout the year. And then some opportunities that you have that maybe you haven't been taking advantage of. And so just being consistent with, with that storytelling. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I say this all the time. Like, as a fundraiser, your job is not to convince people of your cause. Your job is to find your people that care as much about your cause as you do and want to be part of something. Your job is to find your people, your thousand true fans, and let the other ones go because life is too short to try to convince people of things, right? Yeah, that's right. And recognize that once you've found them and they're supporting you, that, that anytime you put something out, it's just as much for that audience as it is for somebody new. There's always going to be an opportunity to build awareness to someone who's never heard of you. And that shouldn't stop because we have funders that are, frankly, there's organizations that have their funding base that's aging out and their kids or grandkids don't necessarily care about the same issues that their grandparents did. And so you have to be able to, sure, speak to new audiences and also recognize that different generations, the dynamic is different and how you need to communicate to them might be a little bit different, but it's as important to communicate to those folks, to the funders who have been with you for years and years as it is the new people. Okay. I'm going to open it up for questions. I see we've got some folks in the chat. Kiara, do you want to ask your question? Hello. Hi there. So yeah, my question is what are the elements that a good compounding story should have? And how do you sequence them, these elements? Well, thanks for the question, Kira. So I will say, to be a shameless plugger, but they are really broken down in the book. And Mommy Light of God, I write about the characteristics of authentic storytelling. And every chapter sort of uses storytelling to communicate a different aspect of storytelling that's important. And so I mentioned one before, and one is just seeking first to understand before being understood, to not lean just on your own understanding, but really go about the work of asking questions from the folks that you serve. And I'll give you one quick example of this. There was a politician where I'm from in Texas, and he had come from grown up in what has historically been one of the poorest zip codes in our city. And he got his education. He became a civil rights attorney. And so he knew the power of an education. He had a parent that was an educator, another one that was a migrant farm worker. And when he became a newly elected House of Representative member, what he did is rather than lean on his on his own understanding, he actually went to all the schools that were in his district and just asked them questions. It was over 50 schools. And he just said, hey, what are the biggest challenges that you have? What do you see is the greatest opportunity that exists? And the thing about his district is it was very diverse. It included the zip code that he grew up in, but it also included some of the most affluent zip codes in the city. And these zip codes are like four miles apart. And what he learned is that food insecurity was one of the biggest issues that educators faced. And so he actually shaped policy 
based off of the conversations that he had. And you would have never thought that making an impact in education would be related to actually coming up with some solutions within schools that would address food insecurity. Um, so he learned a lot through that process. And I go you know, deeper into a book, but I think another important characteristic is to really aim for the heart first and then the head and recognize that great storytelling and what draws you in about storytelling is really pulling at the heartstrings and that when you can do that and lead with the heart, then you can give people the information that they need as it relates to sort of your statistics or bullet points that exist that are important to people. But as I mentioned before, people remember stories. They don't remember statistics. And just to add on to that, if I may, Kiara, I would say you should also listen to the interview we did with Mike Kim a couple of weeks ago, and he has a framework for normal explosion, new normal, right? So like a story is moved forward when something unexpected happens, when there's a tension that happens, when action occurs. And so Carlos, I like your point around you need someone else to highlight for you what is interesting about your story because you're living it. It's very hard. You know, I, I often like to say you can't perform surgery on yourself. So you need someone else to reflect to you what is interesting about your story. That is so true because when you're communicating to funders, I think one of the, the ways that we're able to support the clients that we serve is that we're closer to their audience than they are. Um, because we're, we will do our research and ask a lot of questions. We don't know as much as they do. And so we do a download of the work that the organization does. We're always thinking about what is it that they do that's going to really connect with a funder? What moved me when they shared their story? And so it's a process. And it's so valuable that it really does take some time crafting and making sure that we're being thoughtful about it and not just going up and just doing a prepared speech that's kind of the same every time. So I have a question coming in from Mark, which is, we talked about the role of humor in communications, but funny often implies transgression, right? Like the mommy lied to God. I recently rewatched some old Richard Pryor of stand-up and I was like, oh, this is filthy, but hilarious. So the question is in donor communications, when we have to be sincere, when we are dealing with life and death type situations, how do you navigate the space of sincerity with humor, if that is a way that you want to connect with your audience? Yeah, well, I think it's just using some emotional intelligence, right? I mean, I think that there are opportunities that you have in a presentation. I would agree that some of the funniest comedy can bring to light really difficult issues, and there can be a lot of transgression in, in what you're talking about, but not every comedian has that same style, right? For every Richard Pryor, there's a Seinfeld, right? So I think it's about being true to really who you are. And of course, acknowledging that if it is a life or death issue, that your audience knows that you do take that seriously. And so I think it's just the aspects of maybe the challenges that exist that you can be a little cheeky about. We just produced our third in a series of videos for the Human Services Council. And one thing I admire about them is that they really took the risk of allowing us to write these short comedy sketches to bring to light some of the issues that your audience face when it comes to funding and not just your audience. I mean, they're doing advocacy in New York for the state of New York, but these are issues that nonprofits face all over the country. And by doing that, by taking sort of this comedic approach, I feel like the, the videos that we produce for them have reached well outside of the New York state audience and have gotten more attention than if we just did something that was just 
puppies and babies and something that was, I mean, we do plenty of that too, but people that where I live in San Antonio, Texas actually have seen the video and have shared it amongst themselves, not because I shared it, but because it had an impact and it was funny. So I think that it's just about really thinking about your audience and the whole presentation and using a little emotional intelligence when it comes to how you're going to be funny. So I have a question coming in from Nicole. So Nicole is a former funder. So her question is, as a former funder, the worst thing any nonprofit leader can do is just talk, which is what many of us do when we're nervous. So I'm glad to hear Carlos talking about asking questions as a means of making connection. I also recall how important it was to have a good interaction with the nonprofit leader. So Carlos, do you have any suggestions for how to bring humor into a conversation, particularly when you're a nervous talker? <laughs> well, I think self-deprecation is probably, and that might help answer the, the question that Mark had too, because if you're making fun of yourself, it's pretty much fair game. And I think that that is one way. And then it just sort of humanizes you a little bit if it's authentic, right? Like not fake humility, but you can be self-deprecating it, be funny. And I think that that's one way. So I think that it comes with practice. It comes with aspects of your story that you feel like are going to be relevant to the conversation and really being consistent. And I think that the more that you do it, the better you'll get at it. And I think that that's probably the best way to do it. And then just balance. Like I'm a firm believer in balance. And so I think that if you're spending the time to rehearse and sticking to a certain time limit that you have and practicing it, and maybe even practicing it in front of a group of people that are going to be honest with you about it, that when you go and you present it to a funding group, you're going to do it in a better way and acknowledge that when you're talking, you're always your worst critic. So you may think like, oh my God, I'm dying a slow death here, but your audience is usually not thinking that same thing. And so I think it's just making room to be intentional about asking questions as much as you are talking. It's so interesting because I think some people think of themselves as naturally funny people and other people think that maybe they're not naturally funny people. Like I think everyone has their own way of connection, but is there any way to get funnier? <laughs> You can certainly listen to podcasts, listen to your podcast, Ray. You're very funny. And I think that there is just through, through being a fan of comedy and really, you can really geek out about it. But I think that sometimes the way to do it is just sort of reverse engineering what other people who are really good at it are doing. What I've learned is if I have a very short amount of time, I need to like get to the points quick and you're not going to go up there and just do a stand-up routine. And I will say that look, if you've been through a divorce, I'm not going to suggest that you go become a stand-up comedian because performing in a hole-in-the-wall bar in Laredo can be like the opposite of uplifting. So I would say that what you do is you just listen to great communicators and hear what they do. And I think they're, they're taking people on a journey and you may start with a problem, an icebreaker, start with a joke, and then you can get to the parts that are a little bit more serious. And I think it's just through practice. And I, I think that there's ways of us really, there's a certain thing in comedy called the rule of three. And it's, you'll know this, Rhea, but it's like, if you're going to set up a joke, you use one example, two examples, and the punchline should be on the third. It shouldn't be like this long laundry list of things to where like, okay, where's this person going? So I think it's just about being really concise in your communication, being in practice. I can't say enough about listening and studying comedy, because actually, if you think about all the great 
comedic stand-up routines, it's a story that happens, right? I think about Chris Rock, I think Ali Wong, I think the list goes on and on and on. And they're taking you on a journey that is a personal one. And they're lifting up things that are funny in their lives. And I always think of that term, tragedy plus time equals comedy. I've had plenty of tragedy and I just think that's true, right? It really is. I think when you can poke fun at those things that have been really hard, it's just some of the comedy, you just can't write it. Like it just happens and you're like, oh my, has this really been our experience? We're living in it. Like seriously, 2020, come on. Like it wasn't hard enough to be a nonprofit leader. And then now it's like, we're going to close everything down. I think that you can really understand and acknowledge that you're a part of this human experience. And there are generations of comedians that you can study. And I think more than anything, they'll teach you how to be better communicators. Mm-hmm. And one more time, can you tell us where to find those videos that you did that have been shared around and and where can we find you? The interwebs. The interwebs. So for the Human Services Council of New York, we should be posting the videos. You can find them on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook. They've shared the videos and I'm on all of those platforms too. My handle's InstaCarlos. And so you can look for me on Instagram there, Carlos Maestas, M-A-E-S-T-A. It's been a ton of fun. And we were actually able to, the first couple of years, we were actually able to go to New York City and film with incredible talent that you guys have down there. And this year sort of did a hybrid and we filmed a little bit um, here. And the company is called Key Ideas Inc. And so you can find us uh, also and find kind of an example of the work that we do. Keyideas.net is our website. And then, of course, you have Mommy Lied to God available on Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's on barnesandnoble.com, too. And within that first week, quickly became an Amazon bestseller. And it really is written with a good balance of personal stories, but stories of examples of the work that we do. And so it really, for nonprofits, I think will really be helpful as it relates to how to better tell your organizational story, but also your personal story. Mm-hmm. And, and hope for the book is that it will encourage people to value their story in a way maybe they hadn't before and hopefully live a better story. That is awesome. Carlos, thank you so much for your time. Thanks everyone for joining. Go tell a better story, y'all. Thanks. Bye.